Welcome to Shout Out Patriots. I'm your host, Martin Moyer. Joining me on today's show is our co-host, Pastor Jason Bender of the Patriot Church, Alec Rooney, the news editor for Christian Action Network, Michael Moyer, our producer, and in Columbus, Ohio, is attorney David Carroll, who is also the chairman of the board of Christian Action Network that is sponsoring this program. Welcome, everyone. All right, so I'm reading that the end is nigh. That means close, by the way. Mm, thank you. <laughs> Four in ten adults say we are living in the end times. That's it? <laughs> That's it. <laughs> <laughs> well, they didn't go around to surveilling me, right? Or no, you, or anybody around not. this table. A Pew Research Center surveyed more than 10,000 adults and found that 39% called these the end times. While 58 percent were assured that humanity was not careening towards catastrophe. So are we living in the end times? Are we close to it? Alec, what do you say? Um, define end times. Yeah, well, this, uh... that's interesting because uh, the Pew Research Center, as far as I know, doesn't exactly have these 10,000 adults also explain what they mean by the end times. But I assume it means that the earth is going to come to a cataclysmic end during their lifetime. And uh, they have various reasons why it's going to happen. Not all of them agree that it's going to be God, you know, throwing some type of lightning bolt against the, we've the, got, the world. We've got the Ukraine war and the threat of nuclear war there. Yeah, right? we've that's got, pretty dangerous. We've got COVID. Yeah, we've got all kinds of signs We've coming. got supposedly climate change, which is making everything warmer, <laughs> but how that's going to suddenly, I don't know how that makes it the end times. Well, according to the article, uh, apparently the doomsdayers say that COVID-19 pandemic was one of the reasons why they think the world is about to end, and fears of a warming global planet, that's kind of funny to me, Yeah, uh, <laughs> and that they are witnessing hurricanes and wildfires. That's 40 degrees Fahrenheit outside here right now. So being a little bit warmer would be fine with me unless the planet planet like suddenly warms up to, you know. Well, I'm looking at, you know, from the writer's perspective and I think the writer's just trying to make up their own particular version of why these people were saying what they're saying and since writers and journalism typically tend to be liberal, the writer's probably explaining why they might think the world would be coming to end because of wildfires and hurricanes and a warming planet. But I kind of doubt that. And the people that were polled indicate that too. So 47% of Christians say that they are now living in the end of times. 9% of atheists. So, <laughs> well, they better figure out what's going to happen to them when the end comes, right? <laughs> right. They should. And here's a surprising stat. Only 26% of Catholics think that we're living in the end times. Oh. That is surprising. It is. Hey, but you know, that survey was done before this past Sunday when Pope Francis came out and he made this statement. It's a bitter time filled with a rumbling of war, growing injustice, famine, poverty, and suffering. But at this bleak and dis disconcerting time, there are omens of even greater destruction and desolation ahead. So maybe if uh, they knew how the Pope was thinking. <laughs> did he elaborate they... on that, or did he just drop the mic and walk away? <laughs> 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 I 
Yeah, and what then, the, that and then the world just came to a final collapse, right? right? But wasn't it the Pope with other religious world leaders that came up with the new Ten Commandments, right? If I was a Catholic, I would say, wow, the end times must be here if we have the Pope doing this. But Alec brings up a good point because we do have to define the end times, right? If you look at the Bible, the Bible talks about the last days, and in Hebrews it says, in these last days, referring to that they were already in the last days, right? And um, where is it? There's, oh, in, in Acts, in Acts, when Pentecost had come, Peter, he gave his sermon where he was quoting from Joel. He said, in the last days, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on God's people. So that had happened. So they knew that even in the first century that they were in the last days or the end times. Now, when the world is going to come to its you know final climax, we don't know. But scripture tells us in Matthew 24 that the gospel will be preached to the entire world that the gospel will be heard in all nations. All nations will have the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then the end will come. Hmm. So whenever that is, you know, I, I don't know when it is. Only God knows. From what I've read, I, I believe it's predicted that that maybe 2030 will be that time. So, you know, but but as we look, let's, you know, all that aside, as we look at everything culminating, right, and, and Matthew 24 talks about that there's going to be rumors of wars, there's going to be wars, there's going to be pestilence, there's going to be all these natural disasters and calamities, but it says that those are only going to be the beginning of birth pangs, right? So we could just be in the very beginning of the pregnancy and the birthing of the final culmination of the world, so... Yeah, those are the birth pains that's given way to transgenderism and gender fluidity that are, should be other signs that the end of times might be nigh. There really has been an outbreak of just utter craziness in the last yeah. couple of years, it seems like, just in real insanity with the gender stuff and the changing kids' genders and the open grooming of kids in schools. And um, it seems like things are coming to a... Ahead. A conflict, yes. Yeah. yeah, you know, and I think most people, when they think of end times, if they aren't biblical scholars or read the Bible every day, Revelation, uh, think that end times mean God's going to come and destroy the earth. That's what most people would probably assume that's what is meant by the end of times, period, right? But it's not really in biblical that God is going to come destroy the earth. Basically, what God is saying is that mankind's going to destroy himself. It's well, not God coming by to destroy anything. Take a look at society around you. It's basically destroying itself. Right. Our society. I think there are other societies in the world who are maybe fairly stable right now. But when you look at Western civilization, yeah, it's it's not looking good. Right. Well, which societies are looking stable to you? <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to figure that one out. Are you watching a, a different news stream than us? <laughs> yeah, let, let, let me retract that for the moment. <laughs> Michael, can we edit that out later? <laughs> Sorry, it's gone live. <laughs> no editing. No, no, don't don't edit it out because there was. But you know, Al, Alec, Alec does have a point, right? I mean, I'm I'm in my 40s. In my time on this earth. I've never seen such calamity and such chaos and such disruption and deception. And the Bible talks about that all that is going to ramp up. So we've seen this escalation where, you know, it's something comes on the scene and it's, it's just at epic proportions where it just ramps up in our society, in, in America. And um, so that, that definitely is a sign of the end times as we see things just moving at a, an enormous speed with velocity. I'm thinking the one thing that, pains God the most, 
is what they're doing to our little boys and girls out there. Yeah. And how long will God tolerate that? Mm-hmm. How long will he allow adults now, not just kids being stupid among themselves, but adults working with kids and trying to change their gender, trying to change their perspective on life in schools that now basically are teaching you that God makes mistakes. God is full of errors. He's so dumb that he will put a boy in a girl's body and a girl into a boy's body. That's how bad God is. And you're going to raise a generation of kids in the public schools in America that are believing this. How do you go back to those kids afterwards and say, no, God's a loving God? How do you convince them of that when in their formative years they are told that God is not a loving God? God actually must hate you because the other message that is sent out to these kids is that when you are put into the wrong body, you're going to grow up depressed. You're going to grow up as a social pariah because you don't feel comfortable in your own body. Unless you deny the reality of what you really are and say you're, you know, a transgender. Well, is it worse than that? Because it's not only denying who you really are, it's denying who God made you. That's the key point here. Getting it into the kids' heads that God can't possibly exist. And if he does exist, he can't possibly love you. And if he does love you, he's certainly not a supreme being that can you can count on because he can't even give you the right gender when you're born. And I'm wondering how many how long will God tolerate this? I, I just don't think God will tolerate it. And when the Bible says that anyone who offends one of these little ones of mine, it is better for him to have a millstone hung around his neck and thrown into the sea. These are the words of Christ, right? So that that's expressing anger. That's saying, I will not tolerate this. Here's the one thing you humans can do. You can do go out there, you can kill yourselves, you can create mayhem, you can do whatever Spread robberies you want to do, but you're not going after these kids. And when you start doing that, I think that's my feeling of why we are now living in the end times, because God will not have the patience for that. So, David, you are rather quiet on the other end out there. Are you looking at this from an attorney perspective? Well, I'm going to take a contrarian view to this group, I think. Uh, I've read a lot of Bible prophecy, a lot of Bible history, and it's my impression that for the last, oh, nearly 2,000 years, biblical scholars and religious scholars looking at the end times, and I don't know what it is either. I don't know really what it is, but but uh, for the last 2,000 years, they thought they were in the end times. That's true. And I, I have to admit that everything's getting crazy now. I mean, just really getting the the gendering thing and all that it's it really is is looney tunes but if you look at it from the perspective of what biblical scholars have thought they always think they're in the end times so it's not surprising that we think we're in the end times now one of these generations has to be right this is true eventually (laughs) all right so here's the other interesting part of this poll i found fascinating that between whites and blacks 34 percent of whites think we are living in the end times and 67% of blacks think we're living in the end times. Makes you wonder, right? Why? I mean, you're talking about two out of every three blacks more Hmm. than that. 
actually believe that they are living in the end times. Well, see, and that's what I was, you know, to me, I, from the black people that I've known, and I, I know that anecdotal evidence isn't worth much nowadays, but from the black people that I've known and hang out with, a lot of them are more conservative than uh, any of the Democrats that they vote for. And I just think that they, you know, there's so much out there that is kind of like saying that if you were a black, you should be voting this way, even though they don't really think that way. They don't believe the same things that Joe Biden Democrats told them to do that. Yeah. Yeah. Apparently, if you didn't vote for Joe Biden, you're not black. But <laughs> there's a lot of black people out there that think like us. And I just think that, you know, I don't see it as that. That's surprising. I think it would be more surprising to the Democrats out there and to the liberals out there that find out that there are a lot of black people that agree that a lot of the stuff that is happening now should not be happening now. Well, here's a headline that I think should lead us all to believe that we are living in the end times. Child sex robots for pedophiles. (laughs) All right. Letting pedophiles live out their perverted fantasies using sex robots might stop them from harming children, researchers suggest. Adult sex robots are already available, um, and they're capable of facial expressions and being able to interact in certain ways with humans. I'm not sure exactly what they mean by that, but I'll take the word for it. But some experts claim that child versions could present a therapeutic opportunity and that studies are needed to work out the preferred features. Preferred features for pedophile users. I wonder what that means, the preferred features. <laughs> oh, no, I don't know. And, Marty, you're, you're not even talking about, like, that this is something on the black market, right? This is this is right. literally out there on the market. Right. They are out there on the market. They are illegal in some countries to import in, but they're not illegal if you make them yourselves. If you make it in the country, it's just illegal if you bring it into the country. So every country has their own various laws about this. But the idea, you know, that we're living in a society that where their solutions become so off the wall. I mean, <laughs> you're talking about adults sexually abusing little kids, and your solution to cure them is to make them a kid robot that they can have sex with. And somehow, if they can have sex with that robot, they're going to lay off the real kids. I mean, that's just absolutely insane to think that that would possibly solve that problem. It's like they just skipped the child blow-up doll and went straight to the robots. But I see it I as... I thought that as, was going to hit it, didn't <laughs> I think they ought to make dolls that, that scream and bleed so that murderers have somebody, have a doll to play with. See what I mean? Yeah. It's like, it's like we'll provide you with a fake victim so you can get your jollies. That's what it is, though. That's what they're trying to do. Well, why not have, you know, sex animals out there to have sex with the people who like bestiality? You probably aren't looking hard enough. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody's phone is going. Phone's going big time. Um, Yeah, I'd be interested to hear a a pastor's viewpoint on this. Like, it's, it's still a sin, right? Even if it's with a fake victim? I mean, yeah, you would think so, right? <laughs> well, it's uh, I, I would mean, think so. This this is this is perversion and the way I look at it is is that these people, you know, if they're literally pedophiles, they're practicing 
for when they do the real thing. Yeah. This yeah. isn't this isn't therapy by any means. It's no, hey, we're gonna we're gonna like you said, features, whatever that means, they're probably gonna customize it the way that they want, the right age, the right look. And then, okay, you know what? I have six months under my belt of practice, and now I'm ready for the real thing. Yeah. It's like if a baby's crying, you put the pacifier in. It's not going to cure that they're not crying. It's just the pacifier's in there to pacify. And then when you take the pacifier out, they start screaming again. So it's the same thing with this. Give them the sex robot, but once they're they're done with that, they're going to move on to something else. It's because, still not going to be the real thing. Right, because yeah. sin and wickedness and depravity it, it it doesn't stop. It always escalates. Well, to me, it's like the uh, relief pitcher being in the bullpen, warming up before he comes out to the mound, right? I mean, you're basically training these pedophiles how to have sex with a child by giving them a robot, thinking you're curing them. Right. But to them, it's just warming up for when they go after the real child. I think it's absolutely crazy. Anyway... The name of the group was Czechia's National Institute of Mental Health, and they presented their findings at a conference in Belgium. So, you know, they added, you know, I don't understand it. You would think common sense would tell you right now, if you're going to have a conference and you put on the slate, we're going to talk about the benefits of a child sex robot for pedophiles, you'd immediately say, that's not welcome in this conference. But they're letting this stuff in. Right. That's signs of the end times. I'm telling you, it's a sign of an end times when your mentality <laughs> gets that debased. That somehow you think this is a logical thing for adults to be thinking about right. to cure. We pedophiles. don't have other human problems that we need to deal with first right. before right. we placate all the pedophiles. Right. And guys, why should this surprise us? Why should it surprise any of our viewers or listeners? Because the people making these robots are the same people who want to harm the kids. So they're mm-hmm. they're helping yeah, out. The they better, had to have the you know, idea. They're they're not looking to help mental health. Let's let's be honest. The people who are in that organization or corporation that you just listed, they need to be put in a mental health asylum. But they're looking to um, continue and and help out the pedophiles. Yeah. Well, if you had law enforcement agencies that were more concerned about stuff like this than going after conservatives, they would let these pedophile order these child robots so they would know who they are and where they live. Yeah. Right. You know, this also reminds me of that, uh, that story we did one of the other weeks, uh, past weeks about the, you know, youth in Asia by, uh, because of how much pain you're in and stuff like that. They'll just kill you. If you're depressed, they'll give you a little mm-hmm. fake child to rape. If you're, <laughs> <laughs> if you're, if you're a pedophile, you know, it just, I mean, all of it just goes back to the first story. How do we live in a society like this? All right. Well, Professor Noel Sharkey, he's an AI expert at the University of Sheffield. He said it would be a grave mistake to believe that if a pedophile has sex with a robot, that would reduce their desire to have sex with children. (laughs) (laughs) The fact that you have to say that. Right. Yeah, that's you have to, to point say. that out. <laughs> <laughs> that is not absolutely obvious to start with, right? But that's the society we live in nowadays. And Marty, does it explain what they mean exactly by a robot? So I'm assuming that this robot can interact back with the person, right? It's not just a doll that's that's immobile. No, that because now evidently the technology of the uh, adult size sex robots are so real looking they have facial expressions they have movements they can make they can actually interact voices some they seem to yeah. breathe voices yeah. right seem to breathe uh with their 
I don't know. What do we call them? I don't want to call them a partner. What are you if you're having sex with a sex doll? I don't know. But whatever they are. <laughs> Is it your partner? They, they can, your toy? They can, they can interact with their... Yeah, a toy. A toy sounds right. That, yeah, that would be what a... You know, but man, I wouldn't have thought that, you know, the sex industry is where we advance the most in robotics. You know? <laughs> yeah, I thought it would have been something else. Weapons and sex You're toys. You're so naive, Michael. <laughs> Weapons, <laughs> healthcare, and sex toys. And I wonder if, you know, last week we were talking about AI, right, with, right. with uh, social media and things like that. I wonder if they're incorporating some of this, where the person can talk to the robot and then the robot can now interact back. <laughs> where they really get their true fix in, you know, where they really feel like they're they're there with the child. Yeah, I want the child's sex robot to be programmed to read them the Miranda rights, <laughs> yeah. or have a machine gun come out of their chest <laughs> or stab them. <laughs> David, you have a comment. Yeah, I'm thinking these child sex robots are going to be very popular in Washington D.C. Yeah, yeah, right. Uh, There's one headed to, to Pennsylvania Avenue right now. Because he likes to sniff that <laughs> yeah, hair. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, Kurt Cameron, everybody knows him. Uh, he has a book out called As You Grow. And he's been trying to do public readings of this book in public libraries. Uh, the book is, uh, let's see, it's based, it's a faith-based children's book at and it advertises itself as celebrating family, faith, and biblical wisdom. So you would think that's a good thing, right? You know, go in the library, do some library readings for some kids. Unfortunately, you can have drag queens in libraries doing drag queen story hours, but he has been turned down by 50 public libraries trying to do readings for little kids. And why did they say that they turned them down? Well, here's a quote from the Ranchambo Public Library in Providence, Rhode Island. And I'm sure if you live in Rhode Island, I'll probably pronounce that wrong because I do it all the time, these names. But that was my best guess, right? All right. Anyway, they wrote to Cameron and said, We are a very queer-friendly library. Our messaging does not align. Not kid-friendly, <laughs> No. Queer friendly. Queer friendly, yes. But the point that got me, I know that was weird to start with, but the point that really made me mad was the second part. Our messaging does not align. Right. It's now, a, does the public library now set the messaging? They have a message? Yeah. Right. When does the public library have a message? They just supply yeah. books. The books have the message in them. And yeah. I wonder, you know, if they're queer affirming, if that's their their target do they have some of these sex robots in the back room that can be used for the public? <laughs> and look, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not an expert on law. You can borrow one. But is, isn't the point of a public library for public consumption, for the public to use to to have resources open for everybody? Yeah, well, I hey, mean, if, if it is the public library, wouldn't that also be uh, I don't know, if they, if they use the excuse that allowing, you know, those... Uh, drag shows to show up at a public library for free speech and stuff like that. Wouldn't they also be, well, never mind. They're hypocrites all the time. So it doesn't yeah, really you know, matter. you know, the answer to your own question. <laughs> but anyway, let's bring David into this because David does raise an interesting question. A public library allows drag queen story hour. And can they legally deny Kirk Cameron a reading of his book as you grow? The answer is clearly no. It's viewpoint discrimination. And the First Amendment protects people's different viewpoints. That quote that 
about the uh, library working saying we're a queer friendly library, our messaging does not align. That is a clear statement that the library is, is discriminating on the basis of viewpoint. And that is a violation of the First Amendment. If it's a public library, by public, I presume that means government owned. And if it's government owned, then it falls squarely within the protections of the First Amendment. All right, but here's the thing, right? So Drag Queen Story Hour people, they're very well organized in chapters around the country. They have a lot of money. They can, first of all, get into these public libraries simply by asking to come in. They're rarely ever turned down. They don't have to turn around and sue the public library. But if they did, it's not one drag queen trying to sue 50 different libraries. Here, Kirk Cameron, even though he would have a legal right to go into those libraries and probably win in court, how much money does even Kirk Cameron have to sue 50 different libraries? And that's how they're winning these battles, Pastor. Yeah, but remember, Marty, it's through, it's actually, I believe, his publishing company, right? Brave Brave Books, who's actually the one initiating, trying to get the meeting for Kirk Cameron. Right. So it's not just Kirk on his own. He's got, you know, a publishing company behind him. Yeah, but, you know, it's Brave Books. It, look, publishing companies do not make a lot of money. It's kind of a myth. And people think publishing companies make a lot of money. They think the authors make a lot of money, and they don't. Mm-mm. They do not at all. Uh, so there's not a lot of money to be spending around uh, for publishing companies to be filing lawsuits either. Um, but I would think they would win. I think, you know, David's uh, wisdom on this thing is, you know, what I would think it would be. He should be able to sue and be able to get in. Uh, but it's going to cost money. Uh, David, to file a lawsuit like that, I mean, what we're talking probably tens of thousands of dollars per library, aren't we? Well, probably, unless you can find a a public interest law firm like Liberty Council or one of those who are willing to take the case and do it without charging the client. And this would be the kind of case that they'd want to take, I think. I, I doubt it. I, I really do doubt it um, because there are so many religious liberty cases going on out there. And these, as you mentioned, Liberty Council and uh, Alliance Defending Freedom, the rest of them, they're stretched for dollars too with defending, especially the cases where Gays and lesbians are coming after photographers and wedding venues and cake shops uh, to force them into compliance with the LGBTQ agenda uh, to say, okay, well, look, Kirk Cameron wants to have a book reading about his book as you grow. How important is that for our finances of the battles that we're waging out there to wage in? And sure, we'll get a victory here, but are we actually going to sue 50 libraries? We'll win here, but the next library goes to, they're going to turn them down. We're going to have to sue that library and then sue the next library. So I don't know that they would be that all that excited about uh, doing it. Well, I'm going to be a little bit contrarian. I'll be the contrarian this time okay. and say that I think uh, Kirk Cameron found a clever way to sell books and to, and to well, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, he found a good way to get his the name of his book out. And that is by attaching it to this controversy about the drag queen story hours. And I think. But but you're not impugning his motive that he only wanted to go in the libraries to get turned down so he could sell a book. um, No, no, I'm not impugning it at all because he's obviously written a good book and a book that kids should be hearing. I think the more effective way would be to go after libraries in a more subtle way rather than come straight at them as if, like, okay, we're going to give something in direct opposition to these these uh, drag queen story hours, and we want you guys to, to to hold it at your library. I mean, I like the way 
I like his book. I like the way Brave Publishing. I like that he's putting it out. And, and I think it's good that he's found this way to spread the word about his book. And I think that's what they're doing, really. Well, guys, are we aware that all 50 of these libraries have had drag story hour or whatever you want to call it? Because yeah, you know, I don't know. Yeah, that, but that's what I'm saying. To your point, Alec, you know, I don't know if we can say that, Kurt, you know, we don't know Kurt Cameron's motive, right? right. We, we, we have no idea. Um, and, you know, from what I see, you know, I don't know him personally, but he seems like a very genuine Christian man. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying he's not. Yeah. But um, so I don't I don't know if he targeted 50 libraries and said, OK, these are the ones that had the drag story hour. So I intentionally want to go there. It could have just been, hey, you know what? Anywhere that my publisher says that I should go, that's where I want to go. And, and let's libraries. try to get in there because right. I want to share the gospel and this good message of this book with these kids. All right. Well, so I'm like uh, the one with the horrible memory here. Who is Kirk Cameron? <laughs> Growing Pains. <laughs> Oh, growing TV oh. star, and he turned, and turns brother of Candace Cameron. No, that's not helping me okay, at all. Sorry, <laughs> I retract. You know, if your parents raised you correctly, you would be familiar with Kirk <laughs> yeah. Cameron. Who are your parents? What were you watching as a kid, Michael? <laughs> I saw child TV pains. star, child TV star who became an evangelist, I guess, or or, or yeah. evangelical. But he, here's the thing that uh, you need to consider: normally. Secular authors, when they write a book, they have book readings and they do them into bookstores. And there was a time when Christian authors came out and they have a new book out, they would go to Christian bookstores. But there are very few Christian bookstores around anymore. So if you want to get an audience, you want people to come out in the Christian community to see your book, you go to a public library. And I think that's why Kirk Cameron is focusing on libraries. Yeah is because there aren't the Christian bookstores out there to do these readings anymore that there was 30, uh, you know, or 20 years ago even. And well, I'm glad he's picking this fight with them. Well, and, and that's, a, that's a legitimate reason to want to go out to a library. I mean, how is a drag queen story hour a legitimate reason to go to Yeah, it? that needs to be fought back against very hard in every way. Yeah, I mean, at least in him, he's trying to sell a book. In the drag queen story hour, they're trying to sell a sexual life. Well, I came across this story, and I'm bringing it in there, and I'm not sure exactly, you know, why, uh, what it has to do with anything that we do, but it just shocked me so much. Uh, And the headline is, 50 shell-shocked teachers staff flee chaotic Florida school district. So you got That's a mouthful, right? (laughs) (laughs) I should have practiced that before. Glad you got through that. I said it, yeah. (laughs) That's way too many S's there. Uh, so you got 50 teachers that are leaving this particular Florida school district. It's the 10th largest school district in Florida, the Brevard County School District. And uh, they're resigning because of the violent and disrespectful behavior that they have to confront every day with these kids. Uh, here's a quote from one of those teachers. On an everyday basis, I am deflecting being attacked scratched, headbutted, pushed, and hit. And this, uh, she made the statement at a school board meeting as they were trying to explain something's got to be done because teachers are going to leave and I'm leaving. Uh, it came out in that school board meeting that one student actually was masturbating inside the classroom. And it was recorded by a classmate as he was doing it, and then put up into a student group chat chat for the other kids to see. It's amazing, right? 
Another educator uh, at the board meeting said that she had to remove all the furniture from her class. All the furniture, because kids were routinely chucking it around the room at each other. That's crazy. I think we're getting close to the end times for public schools, at least. (laughs) Yeah, well, I mean, this also has a very bad statement for parents. I mean, Mm -hmm. how do you fill up a a school or even have that amount of kids at a single school that would, you know, run teachers off like that? It only really takes a few kids, though. Yeah, I mean, is is that what they're saying? Being no. married to it a teacher, sound like it's saying, I can tell yeah. you that you know most kids in a classroom are just kind of neutral and sitting there waiting for someone to tell them what to do. But if there's a couple of bad actors, they can really turn the whole room. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess there's a lot of followers out there. Yeah, yeah. or and just it, ones who don't want to get involved. Yeah, and in hearing this list and reading this article, I mean, it's almost unbelievable. What's going on yeah, in these see, schools? They're not talking about a few kids here. I guarantee you that. They're talking about a lot of kids in the classroom. They say they're constantly having to deal with sexual misconduct, drug use, theft, spitting, violence, property destruction, because the kids no longer fear any consequences. And look, these are the same kids. You know, we don't know what percentage of public schools this is going on in, right? It could be 1%, 5%, 10%, 20%. But these are the kids that are going to be in the middle of the BLM riots, in the middle of the Antifa riots that are going to burn down buildings. And and that's the fruit in our society of what we're seeing when, like we said, where the parents have no discipline in the homes. These kids are running wild in the public schools. And now, unfortunately, the teachers pay the consequence. They're being harmed. I mean, it almost seems like some of these teachers are are guarding their own life, right? right? The, the way that it looks, it's crazy. And this goes back to something I've said before, is that this is what happens when you remove consequence. I mean, uh, the, the, and, and this is what it seems like most of the Democrats nowadays are going for, the uh, revocation of, of, I don't know if that's how you say it, but anyways, the uh, elimination of like cash bail and uh, abortion and all these things that they push that makes it so you don't have to live with the decisions that you make. And, and and this is what you get. I mean, you get people who are just not in control anymore. Well, they said uh, talking to parents does no good because they blame the teachers. <laughs> <laughs> well, not? see, there, there is the problem, right? Because the parent thinks it's the teacher's problem. Yeah, <laughs> you you but, shouldn't have furniture in your classroom. Yeah, it's your right. fault. <laughs> uh, you should have wore a spit guard. I mean, come on. Take some defensive action here. Well, you Uh, know, if we were all wearing masks, they couldn't spit on you. (laughs) But what you were saying, Michael, about the uh, consequences here, if they actually put these kids in detention, the parents threatened to sue the school. So, first of all, telling the parents, don't do any good because, first, they'll blame the teacher. And if you do anything to punish my child, I will turn around and sue the school for you doing it. But how can they sue the school over putting somebody in detention? Well, schools don't like lawsuits. They just don't. You know, even if they are in the right, they don't have a big budget to be filing and defending themselves in court. So it's easier for them just to say, hey, it's not in the budget. Let the kids run crazy. Aren't they funded by the taxpayers? I mean, and I'm sure a lot of the taxpayers would get irritated by all these lawsuits and i mean isn't that part of discipline in the school you know i mean i would just think that that's if if someone made a threat to me and i'm a teacher and administrator in the school that's just an an empty threat that's just hot air what's david what is your take on that 
Well, reading the article in the New York Post about this, it appears that the complaints at the school board meeting were the suspensions are meted out at disproportionately high numbers to black students. Uh, the uh, and it appears that so, but I, how do they know it's disproportionate? And, how do I know what? No, uh, how are they assuming that it's disproportionate? I mean, isn't it based on like what the child did, not what the child looks like? All I'm saying is that's the accusation, and there were NAACP people at the uh, at the meeting to talk to the school board, saying things like. Uh, uh, the district should emphasize diversity, equity, and inclusion in any new behavior code. How's that going to stop kids from throwing <laughs> yeah. chairs and masturbating in the class? Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's, just, that's just crazy. All right, I got it, uh, right? The ones who are throwing the chairs should start throwing at the ones that are masturbating. Yeah, or, or maybe they think that it's working on their multitasking skills. I'm masturbating and throwing a chair at the same time. <laughs> But it's typical of the liberals to always, they got to promote their agenda, their narrative. And that narrative, that agenda is more important to them than ever solving the problem. So we could have predicted that if the NAACP and some of these other liberal groups were going to say, here's how to solve this riotous behavior among kids, we knew ahead of time they were going to say diversity, equity, and inclusion. Right. That's their way they solve everything in America now. Whatever the problem is, it's rooted in that. In racism. And racism. Right. And this Which means a, it's we're rooted in white people. Right. And this isn't the first time I've heard that uh that excuse. Um but you know, black kids are being disproportionately sent to, to detention. I mean it, it, even if it's a fact that you don't like, if it is something that is based in reality, in fact, that more of these kids are making these decisions than more of those kids, then it's not disproportionate and it should be handled accordingly. I mean, you don't just let somebody off because you think that they are like handicapped. Um, and I mean, that sounds racist to me <laughs> just to say, oh, you know what? We shouldn't punish these kids. They're black. That sounds racist. Well, I don't think it sounds racist, but, uh, you know, obviously everybody around this table would agree that punishment should be equal depending on what you did. Whether you're black or you're white, you're Hispanic, Asian, it doesn't matter. There's just no punishment the, at all being done. Yeah, that's the problem here. Right. They fear no and, consequences. And there won't be. It won't be fixed. You know, for them to say that it's being disproportionately meted out would imply that the bad characters— are now being punished, and therefore they're no longer a problem in the school. That's not what this story is about. The teachers are scared to death, and they are quitting. Don't tell me that it's because punishment's not being meted out equally, and that is where this problem lies. And you're, it's obvious to your face. It's a much deeper-rooted problem than that. I'm just having this vision of like 25 years down the road when a new, a yet another big federal force has been created and these are the public school teachers and they have helmets and padding and truncheons and water cannons and they their job is to keep these minimum security prisons known as schools under control yeah they're gonna be uh teaching from behind a cage right right they're gonna go in the room and that's with a the water other interesting thing here the educators say they routinely walk out of the classroom and go into the restroom to cry 
and they ask another person to come in and watch over the class while they go into the restroom and cry. Just this is not a diversity, and- equity, inclusion problem in this school. And we know it's not, that's just a school that's getting attention right now. But we know that that's not a school that exists in a vacuum all by itself. Well, it is uh, diversity, equity, and inclusion that is causing that problem, not solving the problem. I mean, because the, the, the act of putting that diversity, equity, and inclusion into those sort of politics into the classroom is what is uh, causing this lack of, of, of um, consequences and, and um, you know, well, common serious, sense, respect for authority. When right. You, yeah. When you start preaching diversity, equity, and inclusion, in that message it says there's something wrong with you. It says that, you know, you are beat down. You don't have the right uh, skills to live in this society because there's a problem with equity, diversity, and and inclusion. And therefore, you come into the classroom feeling with self-worth that's not very high on the radar. Feeling like a victim. Yeah, you feel like a victim. And they're not. You're the problem. Why don't you act out then? I mean, the world's against you. They're telling you from the, the teacher pulpit. They're telling you. The world is against you. You need to fight back. And then they start fighting back and they wonder, oh, gee, what happened here? Well, look at the message that you're telling these people. This next story, you know, this one really upsets me. A 14-year-old girl needing a kidney transplant is now being condemned to death because she did not get a COVID jab. So this is in North Carolina and parents are appealing for help after their adopted 14-year-old daughter, a young girl named Yulia Hicks has refused a kidney transplant by Duke University Hospital because she is not vaccinated against COVID-19. This poor little girl, she was adopted from the Ukraine in January 2021. The mother of the child, Chrissy Hicks, says there's no sympathy whatsoever from any of them. It's just strong arming us. Give her the vaccine and you'll get the transplant. Once again, we're using little kids to make and score political points. Yeah, little little pawns. Yeah. And we're talking about her life. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they wanted the the left wants to talk about white privilege. I mean, this is jab privilege, right? All you got to do is get the jab. Just get the vaccine and you'll be okay. We'll give you what you want. But isn't the story bigger than that? Because once this precedent is in place, that unless you get the vaccine, you will not get medical treatment. Can't they now start to say, well, you have to get this. You have to do that. You know, that social credit score that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, I think, or maybe last week, that unless you do these certain things, mm. we have a right to deny you the service that you're looking for. Well, and they don't even care if it's a 14-year-old girl. It certainly violates their Hippocratic oath. Yeah, well, so, some, some doctors out there are turning the Hippocratic oath into a hypocritical oath. Right. <laughs> That's exactly what, to be what it is. Uh, so anyway, they brought this up at the hospital committee, uh, whether to treat this girl or not. And here's what they told the mother. I can't require you to do anything. I can re- recommend things. But if you don't follow our recommendations, then Yulia can't be a transplant candidate here. She's and they told but her. But we don't require it. How's that? 
Yeah, I know. It's it's kind of like more hypocrisy. Yeah. I can't yeah. require anything, but if you don't follow our recommendations, you cannot be a transplant candidate here. It sounds like they're requiring, but that's I think definitely what, a requirement. <laughs> I think what they're saying is is that uh, I can't require you as the parent to give her the COVID shot. I can't do that. But right. what I can say, if she doesn't get it, right. you're not going to get the transplant. And let's so. remember what this COVID shot does. It does not prevent you from getting the COVID virus, and it no. does yeah, not well, prevent maybe, you from spreading it. Yeah, right. let me make that final thought because it's going to fit into exactly what you're saying. They're saying that the surgery would be unsafe for the doctors <laughs> if the girl does not get the transplant. Right. I mean, the that, vaccine. That, that, the vaccine. get the vaccine. Yeah. So we all know, and everybody knows out there, I mean, every doctor knows out there, that the COVID shot, first, is no guarantee that you're not going to get COVID. And secondly, there's no guarantee you're not going to transmit it. So for these doctors to lay that at the feet of a 14-year-old girl and say, oh, we're too scared to give you a transplant because, ooh, you know, you might have COVID and, ooh, you might give to us doctors. Now, keep this in mind. The girl has already had COVID. Mm. She's already had it. Right. Yeah, to me, and, this is just... And they cir- still want her to get, get the shot. This is circling back around to our first story about the end times. And I think when you've got doctors at Duke University Medical Center who are talking like this and lining up with this whole vaccination craze like this, it's just... A, it's like... Th- that used to be like the one group of people who you could trust to be objective and fair. Impartial, yeah. Would and, be physicians. And, you know, uh, these these are doctors at Duke University, so they know what quarantine is. If they were that afraid of that little girl and COVID, they could have suggested quarantining for whatever the grace period is of however long it takes to incubate in a person. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they, they think they're going to cut her open and all these pa- pathogens are going to swarm out and make them ill. Yeah. I mean, or they're afraid that she's going to catch it in their operating but, room and but spread right, it Michael, to them. They could have isolated her, given them the option. Well, if she stays in this room for three weeks yeah. and has no one in the room with her, right. we know that she does not have COVID. It would take her from there directly to the operating room and give her her and save her life and save her life. Yeah. But, but that's not what it's about, really, right? I mean, this COVID shot is a religion to them. It's about Either sending the message that she got. Agree with COVID. our religion or die. Yeah. And they accuse Christians. These are the people that will accuse Christians of a fire and brimstone message. Yeah. Right? But they're saying, no, we're going to kill you now. Forget what's going to happen to you in your afterlife. We're going to send you yep. to the afterlife. If you don't follow orders, you're not going to get life saving treatment. So earlier this year, a 31-year-old Boston man, his name is D.J. Ferguson, he was denied a heart transplant because he refused to get vaccinated by with the COVID shot. And last year in Cleveland, uh, they refused to do an organ transplant to a recipient who had not been vaccinated. So my point here is this isn't an isolated case. This is something doctors are thinking about, hospitals are thinking about. The woke mob out there who runs the medical care is thinking about what is your social credit score? It's political theater. And what really, I mean, besides this girl, I mean, her life is at stake here. But on top of that, you know, she could be looked at by her friends and her peers now as a villain, right? For those who might not be as strong against the vax 
where, you know, they're like, man, you, this girl won't take the shot to get this done, to get the, the transplant. She could be villainized for this. And yeah. it's really sad that that's the what they're doing. They're, re- they're yeah. really, they're really harming her life it's in, evil. in many ways, in many ways. David, so, you know, I guess there is no law that could be used to sue the hospital for refusing to give treatment of this nature. It's interesting that, that the Biden administration wanted to make sure that doctors and nurses will perform transgender surgery and can't refuse that. But where is the demand that a little girl needing the kidney transplant has to get the kidney transplant, even if they don't take the COVID shot? But I guess there's no law to help this family, is there, David? Nope. No, there's no obligation on the part of the hospital to do transplants at will. Uh, they have to use their own the, their own. Uh, uh, criteria. Now, in the in the article that were that brought this to our attention, there is another hospital called Atrium Wake Forest Baptist that claims that the purpose for that vaccine policy is to protect the transplant patients who are high risk for severe illness from COVID. And we also know that that uh, organs are in short supply, so. I can understand the hospital saying, okay, we're only going to give the transplant to those patients who are most likely to be able to benefit from it. And that would be one of the reasons. I don't agree with the reason, but that's at least a more rational reason than protecting the physician from getting COVID. Yeah. And I do want to point it out that your explanation for not giving her the transplant is not what they gave the parent. They gave the parent that uh, it would be unsafe for the doctors. Right, and these are experimental. All right, well, we want to be able to keep make sure our Facebook feed does not go down because we're talking about this because that's uh, one of the things that Facebook does not like us talking about. So uh, we'll leave it there. I think we presented what was in the story, So, uh, and we debated it. So we have a segment here called Taking a Stand, and what we'd like to do is give a shout-out to people or groups or whatever that uh, are out there standing for their Christianity, standing for their religion, standing for, um, you know, their patriotism. So the United States Department of Education is now disbanding its newly created National Parents Council after multiple parent groups sued, saying it was politically biased and violated federal laws. So it's the National Parents and Families Engagement Council, U.S. government cannot come up with a short name for anything, can they? No. Right? It's Does it be make some goofy acronym? Yeah. You know, that you have to try to remember to tell your friends, hey, you got to be opposed to the National Parents and Families Engagement Council because here's what they're going to do. Anyway, the it was... The... Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. <laughs> I'm trying to pronounce their acronym. <laughs> their acronym. Yeah, good luck with that one. <laughs> the idea of the group was to have constructive ways to help families engage at the local level. Uh, you know, right? One of those kind of like, what does that even mean? That sounds like a euphemism for a trans uh, uh, transvestite story hour. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> well, Engaging I got on the, the radar level. screen of the family groups Fight for Schools, Parents Defending Education, America First Legal. And uh, got on their radar because they looked at who was part of this National Parents and Families Engagement Council group. And they saw that, well, 
All the people that were a part of it, or most of them, were liberal groups such as Al Sharpton's National Action Network, multiple pro-Black pro, pro Lives Matters groups, the Mocha Moms, and the United Parents Leaders Action Network, all liberal groups. So they decided that they would sue the school because it was, or sue the Department of Education, saying this is nothing but a left-wing arm of the U.S. Department of Education, and it's not really reflecting all the stakeholders that are out there representing America and their concerns. And on December 5th, the Department of Education agreed to immediately and permanently disband the council and not hold any future meetings. So wow, that worked. <laughs> yeah. Hats off to the Fight for Schools, Parents Defending Education, and America First Legal for taking the time and the money to bring a lawsuit against the U.S. Department of Education. That's always a big thing when you're Send suing the running. federal government. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right? no, that's great. Costs a lot of money, you know, and uh, not much reward. You get a small newspaper article, maybe in a few. I've only seen this article, I think, in one publication. So, you know, it's not like you're going to get a lot of publicity if you win. Well, seeing Especially them disbanded would probably be the big enough reward for that because you know what their goals were. Right. It'll come back in another form. All right. Well, that's our taking a stand moment for this episode of Shout Out Patriots. And we have to sign off now because we're running close to our hour limit that we set just for ourselves. And we don't want to put anyone to sleep. <laughs> we don't want to do that. <laughs> might be too late. All right. There's an inside joke there that uh, most people probably can't see, but behind me are. <laughs> no, just, just let that sleeping dog lie. Well, look, it. To his defense, he was in school all day long, <laughs> and that was probably boring enough to Getting stay awake. Chairs so he stayed him. awake during school, so it's time sleepy time now. So, all right. <laughs> all right. Please join us next week. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. When you see this or hear this on our podcast that will be released next week, you can go to martinmoyer.substack.com to see all of our episodes. Some are very interesting. Some are quite, uh, got a lot of traffic going to them, and they're timeless. So, you know, you're going to pick up some good information if you go there and take a look at what we've done in the past. We've got some great articles up there for you to read. And uh, please feel free to share this podcast when you go to that site. Like it. And uh, if you tune in next week, share while you're watching us. We appreciate it. And we'll see you again next Tuesday evening. Bye-bye now.